Blog Talk Radio. J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we are going to have a very special roundtable called the Breakthrough Energy Roundtable, in which we'll be speaking with our three guests about, number one, the subject of breakthrough energy, of renewable energy, of innovative sources of energy beyond those that we've been traditionally and conventionally using for the past couple of hundred years, actually, from coal to oil to even natural gas. And we'll be looking at the breakthroughs that have been happening for really the past hundred plus years, going back largely to the work of Nikola Tesla and forward with uh, amazing breakthroughs happening in the domains of cold fusion, of hydrogen, of water, and things that, uh, well, we really... uh, Well, we'll be learning about more tonight, let me put it that way. And these are the subjects of an upcoming conference, the second of its kind, called the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference. Last year, for those of you who remember, who are regular listeners to the show, will recall that last October, uh, myself and a few members of today's roundtable, especially Sasha Stone, were in Hilversum, Holland, in Netherlands, uh, co-moderating panels and both deeply involved. I was the MC of this conference, and it was the first of its kind to attract people worldwide to engage in the subject and the discourse on this uh, whole important topic, becoming more and more important as time goes on, as we see climate change just uh, hanging above us, suspended like a gray and dark cloud over humanity's head. And we know, on the ground, we know we've got to make some profound changes quickly. Well, the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference was uh, the beginning of a public dialogue about these kinds of subjects. And this year, it's continuing this dialogue, but now in Boulder, Colorado, for October 10th, 11th, and 12th. So there's information that you will gather uh, through this radio show about that. In fact, even at the beginning, you can go to www.globalbem.com. That's globalbem.com. And 
or you could go to a betterworld.tv oh where we've got a whole lot of information about it and those of you who receive our weekly newsletter will have uh, received lots of information about it over the past three or four weeks so you understand the importance of this topic and why we are spending time to develop it to cultivate it and joining us tonight will be a really distinguished uh, few guests, starting with the uh, producer and director of a film that became very popular over the last couple of years, Foster Gamble, will be one of our guests. Foster, are you there with us? Yes, yes I am. Glad to be on with you, Mitchell. Wonderful. A pleasure to have you. And those of you who listen to A Better World Radio for any length of time would have heard Foster on the show back when uh, the film Thrive, which really caught the attention of people worldwide and has continued to be uh, an inspiration to many and a powerful education about a lot of what's going on on the ground in many different domains in our society. Uh, we have that in our radio archive for free for anyone who would like to listen. Uh, the next guest we're having joining us tonight for the first time on A Better World Radio is Professor Garrett Modell, who has been carrying out research in new devices for energy conversion for the past many years. He's been a professor of electrical, computer, and energy engineering at the University of Colorado since 1985, where he also directs the Quantum Engineering Laboratory. This lab investigates uh, all types of things, including a special kind of solar cell and new energy technologies, including zero-point energy and low-energy nuclear reactions. So uh, we're very glad to have Professor Garrett Modell joining us. And again, for listeners of A Better World Radio, we have had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure of Sasha Stone joining us again. He was on with us last uh in December uh, for the uh, December 2012 roundtable that we held then regarding the shift of consciousness related to the Mayan calendar and other calendars too, as a matter of fact. Sasha Stone is the executive producer of the Millennium Development Goals Awards, which was launched at the UN General Assembly in New York. The prestigious event exemplifies nations, organizations, and individuals most impacting the critical issues facing humanity and our planet, from poverty eradication through to environmental sustainability. He is also the executive director of a really powerful and growing organization called Humanitad that has initiated a number of really interesting projects including Exemplar Zero, which is really very much dedicated to looking at subjects of renewable resources and sustainability for our entire planet. Sasha is an outstanding gentleman who is a, a good friend and colleague, and together we'll be moderating the panels at the upcoming Global Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference. So welcome, Sasha. Welcome you all to A Better World today. Thank you, Mitch. Uh, I hope you can hear me. Lovely to be on with you again and, and in the company of the distinguished Professor um, Modell and uh, my, my friend and hero, uh, Foster. Just delightful. Thank Indeed. you. Indeed. 
Wonderful. Thank you, Sasha, and for making the extra effort to call in from London, which uh, takes even these days a little doing. So uh, please know we really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> so we actually were spread out across the country. Uh, we have Garrett in the middle of the country in Boulder and Foster on the West Coast. So, Foster, if you would, please just tell us about uh, the work that you've been doing most recently regarding uh, breakthrough energy and what is it that you've been discovering along your along your way well we were really blessed Kimberly and I Kimberly was really actually the main producer and director of the of the film thrive and my co-creative partner in everything in life and yeah we've been really blessed since the film came out now almost two years ago to be contacted by uh, hundreds of inventors and scientists from all over the world who knew that we had done our research, um, knew that we had a, a sober attitude toward what's really going on in, in the uh, in the world, and that we were willing to take some risks to try to get some important things done in the world, like bringing breakthrough energy uh, safely out. So um, we've been gathering a team, building the infrastructure. We've been going around visiting labs. And basically, in, in that realm, we've become kind of a cosmic dating service, uh, hooking up uh, <laughs> adv advanced inventors uh, and innovators with uh, advanced-thinking philanthropists uh, and investors, because we're very clear that it's not enough just to have a, a, a device uh, to get it out to the world. You actually have, have to have uh, security. You have to have the device is vetted. You have to have serious funding in order to have legal protection, distribution strategies, marketing, you know, effective business models, and, and all of that. So we're trying to help facilitate the whole movement to grow into the awareness, you know, really the professional maturity to keep these amazing inventors safe and then to come up with win-win strategies to get their technologies available to humanity uh, worldwide. Interesting. What measures, I mean, to whatever extent you're able to talk about it, uh, I'd be interested in knowing what kind of measures, what maybe uh, you're suggesting extra measures to keep the technology. I mean, if you ask anyone in the technology business, whether it's related to energy or whether it's related to computing cybersecurity, or uh, biotechnology, there is a huge um, emphasis on safety and protection. Sometimes that's patent protection uh, and the like. Is there something that you feel distinguishes what, you're, what measures you're taking to protect these technologies distinct from these others? Well, yeah, one of the differences is that for the most part, advanced new energy technology inventors have been pretty much on their own and very poorly funded and protected uh, ever since yes. Tesla. And um, so it's a very precarious situation. So when we meet inventors who, and we work mostly with inventors who already have at least proof of principle, if not working prototypes, there's just too many people yes. with great ideas for us to be able to spend a lot of time with uh, at, at this stage. And sure. We sit down with them, and we've got security experts and financial experts, distribution, you know, business experts and so forth, and we sit down with them if they're open to it to try to strategize 
okay, what's it actually going to take to keep you safe and to get this technology out where everyone has access to it? And usually yes. they have expertise in one or two areas, particularly the, uh, the technology, but they very rarely have adequate facilities to really be protecting themselves. Now, we're, yes. you know, we've been around the block enough times to know that if the NSA wants to spy on what you're doing and the FBI wants to break down your front door and they know about you, they're going to do it. But there are all sorts of other ways these days to have the whole world on your side. So if you've got multiple surveillance cameras that are live streaming to remote locations so that if somebody breaks into your lab, the world gets to watch it you know, the same day on yes. YouTube and see what, what people are doing, the would-be controllers, what they're doing to try to keep us from having access to this technology. That's just one of many, many examples of how we can, through mature kind of Aikido strategies, you know, not trying to be the toughest guy yes. on, on the block, but to blend and lead with what's really going on in a security yes. way, in a legal way, and also in terms of the business strategies to get it out. Yes, right. Although you said two very, I mean, many important points there, but the one of um, kind of stay low and blend is also very much an Aikido strategy, which <laughs> I very much appreciate. In other words, no resistance. Don't create resistance, and you can almost say don't even acknowledge a resistance. Any energy that's coming your way I know because I've studied Aikido as well as Taiji Chuan, and you receive as energy, and if you need to use it, then against the opponent, well, then you do so, you know, or you can think of the other person as a friend who just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, know? exactly. You know, it, it's not a wise yeah. idea if you've got a, a a dragon in a cave next door to where your your lab is to go and poke them in the eye or to think that you're going to overpower them. So it's much more a matter of, in an Aikido way, recognizing the forces, uh, staying under the radar until you're ready, and then getting the toothpaste out of the tube in such a way that it can't be put back in, and yet everybody's safe in the process. Exactly, exactly. Now, one, one more question at this moment before we move on to our other guests. I'd love to, I don't know what kind of um, opening of the treasure box you can do here about what technologies that have particularly titillated you, but uh, is there anything you would like to share with our audience now about what we might see up and coming, sort of like, you know, the Apple 6 iPhone <laughs> or something? Well, I can share in very general terms. Of course, I'm under non-disclosure agreements with virtually all the of labs, course. and I, I wouldn't want to reveal anything that would threaten their security anyway. But fundamentally, it's the same thing that we that we uh, did a visual graphics representation of in Thrive, in Thrive which is ev film? every single yeah. lab that I visited that is doing successful invention is somehow recognizing this fundamental donut-shaped vorticular flow, the torus flow that the universe uses at every level, as far as we can tell, to sustain a healthy system. And the, the paradigm shift is that all of these inventors are learning to honor that and to dance with it rather than to try to blow it up, you know, to crush it, to cleave it, to fuse it, to fizz it. Like, you know, all these fancy words right. for, for macho approaches to, to energy access. Yes. So we're, we're seeing it. magnetic motors. We're seeing electric circuits that, that tap what, you know, Tesla called the radiant energy. We're looking at uh, yes. electronic 
uh, electromagnetic field rotation. We're looking at cold fusion, gravity, uh, hydrogen. But the key is that all of them are uh, dancing with, they're resonating with, they're finding the right geometries, the right materials, the right proportions, and then the right frequencies. So it really becomes like playing in a band. You know, Sasha would relate to this. First, you've got to tune your guitar to the other instruments in the band if it's going right. to sound good, if it's going to be coherent. And basically, that's what all these inventors are doing, is they're learning to, to respect how energy moves in the universe, mimic that, tune it to the right frequencies, and as long as you don't violate it, the universe will pour out abundant, clean, and safe energy. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Yeah, I think that's so true. And uh, at the conference, in fact, we have a couple of really interesting speakers. I've been really kind of studying the speaker list uh, um, in light of the panels that that Sasha and I will be moderating. And we've got a few people who are going to be speaking about sacred geometry and the toroid and, you know, donuts. And, you know, whoever <laughs> thought that Dunkin' Donuts had the answer, the cosmic <laughs> answer to energy, right. you know. <laughs> but, yeah. And I also but, want to no, say very interesting. before you, yeah. I just want to say Please. before you move on that what a thrill it is for me to be on this panel because uh, between you, Mitchell, and Sasha and Garrett Modell, you really are three of the most courageous innovators that I know of. So to be able to have this roundtable discussion uh, together in public in advance of, of going into this convention is really a, a highlight for me. So thanks for including me. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your kind words. It's 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 really very good. It, it's um it's drunk in well because uh, <laughs> while I know I do and I know what Sasha does. Uh, a lot of work we do that goes unrecognized, unacknowledged, and sometimes even, dare I say, unappreciated. Yeah. So uh, your words are really very are very appreciated. Thank you so much, Foster, and I'm so glad you're here. And let me say, and for those of you who do not yet know, which is a little hard to believe if you don't, but if you don't, you should certainly go see Thrive and uh, what is it? Thrive dot com at this point is it? It's, what, it's ThriveMovement dot com, and you can Thrive see the movie for com. free there online, or you can purchase DVDs and, and you know do screenings for your community. And Groups. I'm happy to say that exactly. the film is being seen by over a million people a month now in uh, 27 languages around the world. Oh my God, that's an incredible impact. And when you all see this film, you will understand how powerful that impact is. It is truly a world-changing film. Because, if I may just say, it touches upon so many important subjects from energy all the way to following the money trail of how energy technologies have gotten thwarted historically and why we are today, uh, if I may say, in the bloody mess that we're in and not fulfilling our true powerful human potential to have a beautiful, harmonious, sustainable world that so many of us, you know, were sort of born with the vision of, and certainly people on this panel have been. And actually, thank you so much. I so appreciate everything you're saying here, Foster. I'd like to actually turn this moment to uh, Sasha Stone, because, Sasha, you have been inspired 
inspirational to so many people through your work, uh, both at the United Nations. Oh, I should also say, even as a rock and roll musician way back. But uh, more recently, with your work in Humanitat, Exemplar Zero, and uh, the New Earth Project, which as Foster was speaking, I began contemplating that very powerful initiative that you, through Humanitat, has begun. And uh, I would love for you to speak a little bit about what that's about with our audience. Yeah, Mitch, we, we, we set up the Exemplar Zero initiative, um, uh, and we launched it at the UN. Let me just say I'm not, I'm not um, credentialed at the United Nations. Um, I have uh, a, a sort of no, I know. Weird and loose, a loose alliance with it. I, I believe it to be a highly um, compromised institution, and I'm no great fan of, of what the UN represents at its core. So don't destroy all my street cred by <laughs> by studying <laughs> closely with it. But having said having said that, um, what I discovered in somewhat trojaning the or trojan horsing the UN, what I discovered was that it's populated with human beings and yes. a great many very good ones, and many who um, serve a, a, life of, a life of service and wonder what the hell happened to all their great ideas, because it yes. seems to be one of those multilateral institutions which is actually more of a planetary heart attack than anything else. But I will not detract from the fact that there are so many good and noble people in there who are wanting to do great things. But such yes, as, such yes, as yes. the... We are just, uh, just for note, as a footnote, if you will, Sasha, uh, we are broadcasting just down the street from the United Nations, and I want to just reiterate the fact that uh, there are many good-hearted, big-hearted people who are there dedicated, as you said, to a life of service, and I know many people there and have for some 20 years. There are frustrations with the organization that never seems to move it allow it to do the job it originally set out to do, and uh, hence a huge amount of frustration. Indeed. Well, I, so, we, I appreciate that. Humanitad engaged with the, the UN in some measure in order to discover that for ourselves, and because we wanted to be part of that pivot point between grassroots and, and um, governance, and we wanted to discover that metric for ourselves, which I think we did to some real effect. What we did do um, was launch the Exemplar Zero initiative there to, in 2010, and that initiative was launched under multilateral observance um, at the UN Millennium Plaza. We did it in order to create a, um, a protection bubble uh, under, again, multilateral observance within which we could invite uh, scientists and innovators to um, step out of the closet, so to speak, and come up from the basement because all too yeah. many of the great algorithms, the great recipes for um, sustainable solutions are being sequestered and kept uh, under wraps precisely because, as Foster has gone to great points to educate the world, um, there's been all too much um, sort of threats and shadow land going on in, in that particular domain. So the, the need, the clear need to create some kind of a protection under multilateral observance was why we uh, launched the initiative. And what we got as a result of that Oh, it, was, it was incredibly difficult to set that initiative up because we had countries and central banks doing everything in their power to destabilize us. As you will know, Mitch, from uh, conversations you will have had with our, our primary economist uh, with the initiative, Dr. David Martin. But we did it nonetheless. Yes. And as a result of that, we did get a, have a great deal 
of scientists and innovators coming forward, some of whom we're working with now and incubating in, in similar circumstances to the way in which Foster and Kimberly are doing their great work. And hopefully in, in uh, uh, Boulder we'll be able to uh, share some of the successes uh, amongst each other. Yes, indeed. That, uh, no, that was, well that put, as usual. Yeah. Could you could you speak to us for a moment? Uh, I, you know, it's almost like with Foster having uh, kicked off the roundtable and the themes of Thrive, which I fully uh, recommend people uh, see if they haven't yet, and if they've seen it, to see it yet again because it's it's educational and it's inspiring. And as I understand, Foster, there are groups that have sprung up around the world, many of which, or some of which, at least you and Kimberly, have gone to visit, which I think is phenomenal, to help seed the planet with this kind of understanding, this very overarching, comprehensive understanding. You, Sasha, have developed this uh, New Earth project of the potential of sustainable living in a context that really upholds the values we all so much cherish in our own hearts. And it's very much, you could say, uh, designing and shaping a future that we all sort of have in mind in the depth of our heart. Could you speak a little bit about that? Uh, briefly, we launched the New Earth Project about a month and a half ago. I think round about today we've got 50,000 devotees, which has been a pretty good start. And our social networking yeah. team are um, anticipating that we'll have, um, we're seeking to raise an army of at least 10 million conscious people before the end of next year. And so, so far, it, we seem to be on track for that. What we're doing is effectively putting out a, a, a broad plan of action for um, the reclamation of sovereignty. That's really what the New Earth Project is. But it, we, we, we also incorporate within that metric and what we call fractal, a fractal community model. So we have land being um, put into the universal trust that we've set in motion, and that trust is taking land holdings from outside of the con control of um, government, either municipal or federal governments, and putting it into trust uh, and freeing up those farmers and those landowners and people who own um, con uh, conservation lands and so on and tribal trust land. That land goes into the universal trust. Those people on the ground become designated as beneficiaries, no longer as owners, but uh, their, their land is safeguarded. So government and, and central banking and the wilds and fancies of technocracy no longer have a claim on an erosive claim on people's land. That's the primary thing. And upon that land, we then set in play a zero-point uh, socioeconomics model which I can't speak too much about right now without sounding, um, I, I can only do it in soundbite terms, but we are launching a currency system um, called New Earth Sovereign. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the world. And we're launching it through a, a highly integrated and immersive online bank exchange system. So it's not a bank in the accepted sense, it's an exchange, and we're hoping to launch it by December. But that will be some, a platform upon which people in 190-plus countries will be able to barter and exchange and transact, cutting out the, what I call the Babylonian priesthood, which is effectively the latter-day banker. And once the bankers' uh, intercessionaries are out of the way, people are able to transact freely uh, and in an unfettered way. And that certainly takes us some way toward an open and free society. I just want to quickly say something, 
I, I sure. that, listening to Foss speak, I just go into this wonderful lull, and I just want to stay in that place and listen. And I loved hearing about the Aikido and about the, the protectionist um, aspect. But there is also an argument, and it's an emergent argument, which suggests that uh, the more of us who come out into the open and actually go copy left in a sense and um, scream our recipes and our algorithms and our inventions from the rooftops without fear of um, a repression or oppression or suppression, the better. And, and I think we're possibly coming to that time now where it's really strength in numbers. And that our advice to scientists, frankly, is do not patent. I mean, I'm well aware that Professor Modell holds a great many patents. I also hold some patents. But it, it, is, it has occurred to us over the last few years that patenting has been very much a part of the problem. And the patent offices have been very much a part of the uh, sequestration problem. I don't know, uh, Foster, if you, would, if you would agree with that. I, I think it's a really good point, and it, it's different for each lab that we deal with. Some, uh, some of them already have some patents. Uh, I, too, do not recommend that they go for traditional patents because, you know, as David Martin will tell you, they, they've, uh, they've confiscated over 5,000, I think he says over 10,000, alternative energy patent applications. So it's, used, yeah. it's often used as a gateway to seize your ideas under the excuse of national security, which is pretty ironic given that their other excuse for fighting most of these wars is, uh, you know, keeping the oil fields open, oil. that type of thing, when it's, when it's not yeah. even necessary. But there are some people who, I mean, the simplest way of all that we've found is if, there, if someone is in a position to reward an inventor, to give him his price so that he feels made whole for taking the risk and spending the life and having the insights to actually create an alternative energy technology. The simplest route of all is somebody pays him the money to, uh, to compensate him for all that he's done, and then uh, the, the money and the invention is put in escrow and then released jointly to the world. That way there's no – the government can't use, uh, you know, commerce uh, issues to try to delay you or to shut you down. It becomes purely – it's like the Pentagon Papers. It's, it's purely a free speech issue, and this has been proven yeah. many times in court that they can't shut you down just sharing your idea with the world. So we're working with some labs where that's the plan. Others are patenting uh, parts of their technology that are unique, but they're patenting them in such a way that it's not obvious that if you put the parts A, B, and C together, they can make an, uh, a free energy device. Other people are yeah. going for public patents, which, which uh, surrender the knowledge into the public but don't allow any corporation to come in basically and sweep up your know-how and claim it as their own and then try to hoard it. So there's all different strategies and, and business plans depending on the, the situation that fits the inventor the best. Uh, Wonderful. This is Thank you Garrett. for weighing in there. Yes, let's just let everyone know this is uh, A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time or Standard Time, depending on the season. And you can visit us at our website where you can also listen to the show at www.abetterworld.tv. This evening, we are dedicating to the Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference and uh, Roundtable, and we've been speaking with Foster Gamble, 
with Sasha Stone, and now we're about to hear from Dr. Garrett. Um, uh, I'm so sorry, uh, Modell. So, Garrett, please weigh in. I'm very eager to hear what you have to share with us. So this this patent issue is is really a tricky one because uh, a lot of new energy technology has suffered from secrecy in that uh, a an inventor wants to keep it private so that the inventor can develop it and make some sort of profit on it, or alternatively, the inventor might want to give it away free. And both of these come with problems. Uh, keeping something private means that we don't have the the rest of the community being able to look at the technology, help with it, help weigh its benefits, and, and so on. And the opposite, which is giving it away free, uh, means that there isn't a financial incentive for somebody to develop it. So I think what Foster mm-hmm. was saying about approaching each technology uh, in, a spe- in its own in whatever way makes best for that technology, makes a lot of sense. For example, one approach is to uh, file a provisional patent, which nobody reads, but it protects you for a year. And once you've done that, you have the ownership of of the technology, and at that point, go public with it. As as, uh, uh, Foster has said, uh, put it on the web. uh, Distribute it. Make it uh, it public. Get the get the toothpaste out of the tube. And at that point, you can uh, ha- share it with the community, but at the same time, have what some degree of ownership which will give incentives to develop it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that the, the, flies in the face also of this notion of uh, free energy. And uh, I think that the you know it re- we really deserve to have some understanding of what that phrase means. Some people think that free energy means that nobody has to pay anything for it. Other people understand it to mean it's the ambient energy or the the universal energy uh, which the elon vital, the fundamental energy of the universe that some different technologies are able to harness and utilize as, you know, of course, Tesla did and many of the technologies that are emerging today. Uh, Garrett, could you speak to that? For a moment as well. I agree. It's interesting, an interesting use of the word free. Uh, exactly. Certainly, in terms of being uh, free of uh, charge, free of cost, ultimately it needs to be that way. It needs to be accessible to everybody. But yes. in th- the way that the world currently works, the best way, I believe, to get something out there is to first develop it substantially and at that point make it free rather than. Uh, putting it out before it's been vetted and shown to work and and and, and proven. Yes, indeed. On that note, um, share with us, if you would, a little bit of what you're doing in your lab at University of Colorado. You're working with nanotechnology. You're working with a number of interesting innovations. What can you share with us about what's been going on behind closed doors? <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm in sure. a funny position in that I'm between what one might in, uh, tongue-in-cheek call the stuffed shirts on one side and the crackpots on the other. So the stuffed <laughs> shirts are, I suppose, what maverick scientists would refer to in, in, as, uh, as they, uh, would, you, would be the terminology they use to refer to 
us academic scientists. And right. academic science typically uh, pursues these days incremental science, where we make little changes in directions that where we more or less know what the results are going to be. Um, then ba- baby the, steps, so to speak. Baby steps, and then the uh, the the mainstream scientists might call the maverick scientists uh, crackpots. And so yeah. I think I've moved perhaps from being a, a stuffed shirt in, into into more of the maverick uh, crackpot territory. <laughs> welcome, and, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So uh, the technologies that we're looking at, uh, I'll, I'll say it very briefly, include a, a zero-point energy technology, which surprisingly uh, the patent office uh, did issue a patent to us on and uh so we've we've done a little bit of work on it and shown that there seems to be some energy emission using this technology but more work needs to be done uh my lab has also been looking at uh low energy nuclear reaction technology or cold fusion as it's also known and leaner uh, it's also known as yeah leaner and we find here and this is where i'm really between these two camps we find that uh, there are fascinating glimpses that show us that cold fusion works and transmutation works, uh, but there's also uh, some misinterpretations. So if we look at what some cold fusion scientists are doing and we replicate those experiments and uh, dig a little bit deeper, we find that in some cases, in fact, what's happening is not any sort of nuclear reaction, but just conventional chemistry. And so one has to be careful here. These technologies really need to be dug into quite deeply and vetted. To get personal, are you referring to Dr. Rossi? Um, I'm not yet, simply because I don't know enough about it. Uh, You know, he's... uh, Rossi's technology... Uh, has been vetted, but not openly yet. And once once it's really open and, and everyone can go in and look at it, at that point maybe we can say a little more. Sure. Well, it's been going on for years, and for some reason it remains still in the shadows uh, for reasons that I do not understand. But uh, yes. certainly I've had my finger on that pulse for a long time, too. Well, that's very interesting. Like so I'd like to interject I'm for sorry. just a second before you move on that Many, you know, I've been in this field for about 15 years, and many yes, inventors, sure. many inventors have said to me for a long time, "How are we ever going to get any uh, straight university professors to seriously look at our technologies to give it the credibility that it will need when we are ready to bring it out?" And I said, "Well, yeah, that's a really good question." And you know, and then I met Garrett and and one, well, really two other university professors who have. Uh, open minds who have uh, deep experience and have the understanding and courage to actually be that bridge that that Garrett is talking about you know, b- between the crackpots and the and the stuff shirts because that's exactly what's going to be needed because when these technologies get announced obviously they need to to work and if they work people are going to buy them but in the early stage in order for people to to give it any credibility at all they're going to be uh, there's going to need to be people like Garrett 
who come forward and say, listen, I have been checking this out for six months or a year or whatever. We've tested it, uh, and I stake my reputation on that it, as far as we can tell, it, it works. So I'm very grateful to, to you, Garrett, for the, the courage to actually stand in that gap. Thank you. Yes, Mitch, can I, I interject I wanna, at this point? Yes, Sasha, please, absolutely. I, I wanted to direct something at, at, uh, at uh, Professor Modell, which is, is it not so that today the, the works of um, great scientists like Velikovsky and Schauberger and Reich and uh, Tesla have pretty much become de facto mainstream? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I th we actually examined these in, in a class that I'm teaching right now. And At University of Colorado? At the University of Colorado, called the Edges of Science. And mm -hmm. this is considered a fringe science. Uh, and there are a lot of derogatory comments about specifically uh, uh, some of the people you mentioned. Uh, we're, we're not there yet. We're not there. And in fact... If you look at, uh, for instance, cold fusion research, uh, you cannot publish a cold fusion paper in a mainstream journal, no matter who you are or how good the work is. At this point, mainstream journals simply don't allow it. They, they won't consider it. And, is and the so reason they won't consider it, Garrett, because they don't consider it sound science or for different political and possibly economic reasons? In your well, estimation? Well, at least the ostensible reason is that uh, after 1989, when, when cold fusion came out, there was a big hubbub, and, at that, and after a little while, Pons and Fleischmann got a black eye. And you can argue that it, it certainly wasn't deserved, but in any case, they got a black eye from, the, from mainstream scientists. And at that point, uh, so many uh, journals said, we don't want to waste our time with this stuff, uh, so we're, we're simply not going to accept it. Uh, but based because on your review of it, based on your review, free to the extent we can, of the social, political, and economical variables, do you see Fleischmann's work and others that you know of in cold fusion as sound science? It and sound the and the research that was set up, the studies that were done, as sensible and prudent studies. Uh, it is sound, sound science. Clearly, there are, there are very good scientists who are getting very interesting results, but it's got two problems. One is the way that it was originally unfolded, which was through a press conference. And this was not the fault of Pons and Fleischmann. This was the, the fault, as we know, of the administration of their university and others. Mm -hmm. But what we ended up with just part of the story, so that it was shrouded in some degree of secrecy, and that was to every to, to everyone in the field's disadvantage. Um, so that's one issue. And the second issue is that many of us who are looking at this are not able to replica, replicably. Uh, get the same results over and over. We see a flash in a pan. We see excess heat generation. We see uh, all sorts of interesting things, and then we try to repeat it, and you know, for the next 10 times it doesn't work, and then the 11th time it works again. And mm. even the, 
even the most experienced researchers in the field find this. That's just somehow the nature of cold fusion right now. Perhaps some of the people who have machines that they say can produce the, uh, the excess heat reliably have conquered this, but it's not publicly known how. I understand. Foster and Sasha, I'd like to just ask you both to weigh in to whatever extent you'd like to, Aaron. Comment on what Garrett Modell is sharing with us. I'll, I'll jump in quickly because I've got such a bad memory. Sure. I hate myself to forget. <laughs> but just to bring bring to bear one primary conversation point at this at this juncture, which is really the, the line in the sand in our civilization, which is that which is uh, purportedly known and understood, which is mainstream academia and all the floss and gloss that we live by, and the occultic knowledge base of our civilization. Uh, how much uh, are, are we not able to speak about? We know that the military-industrial complex have been um, pumping billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars, over recent decades into advancing uh, technologies uh, under cloak of darkness. Um, so it all smacks of conspiracy, and that's because, well, it is a conspiracy, and it's all treason, but let's not get into that argument. How much of what we think we know do we know, and how much is not being disclosed? We've got defense ministers out there standing up and saying that uh, there are cloaking devices and there are advanced technologies and zero-point technologies that have existed for, for decades. So one of the big problems we have civilizationally is at what point do we marry the left hemisphere to the right hemisphere, and at what point are we then able to engage in the real conversation? which respectfully is not even the conversation we're having today because we're dealing with 50% of the equation. And that, to me, is a, is a very fundamental task that we all have ahead of us, which is to begin to thread the seen with the unseen, the spoken with the unspoken. And that serpentine construct, popularly known as government, is the thing, the behemoth, that appears to be standing in the way. And I'm not talking about mainstream government. I'm talking about shadow government, those controls and elites that uh, Foster has done much to um, expose in his work. And this, for me, is part of the conversation that needs to be had if we're to be holistic. Yes. I understand. Okay, That's I, a I'd very well-made point, Sasha. Thank you. Yes? Yeah, I'd love to follow on uh, what Sasha's saying, especially for the layperson listening to this show. This because is Foster the obvious, Gamble. The obvious question occurs to anyone, it occurred, I'm sure, to, to each of us at some point of, hey, if this stuff really exists, how come they're not selling them at Walmart? Um, and th there's, there's a lot of subtleties <laughs> to that. But What an interesting <laughs> metric. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. But, but you know, people assume, well, if it were real, I would be able to see it. But I would invite yes. people to ask themselves, if these technologies are not real, if nobody has actually broken through in this way, then why has the shadow government raided and shut down the laboratories of Tesla and Sweet and Keeley and Inomata and Myers and Farnsworth, you know, Bedini, yeah. Searle, uh, Pantone, Dollars, Tawari, uh, Langenberg. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And when they raided these labs, they, they always stole the technology. <laughs> so they took it somewhere. Yeah. And the inside yeah. words that I've gotten is, they're, you know, they're 50 to 100 years ahead of anything we're looking at out in the public domain 
in the shadow government lab. So the, the question, I can understand the question stays open, and it should. I, you know, is this real until someone has actually seen it? But if you've done your homework uh, on what's actually been going on, then the evidence is overwhelming. And I, I've been fortunate to be in many laboratories where I've gotten to see it. And for both Kimberly and myself, it just moves you to tears when you actually watch it running and realize, okay, no more pollution, no more fighting over other people's oil, uh, no more having to pay outrageous prices to run your car or heat your house and, uh, and to cook and so forth. So to realize that not only in terms of prosperity is that world already uh, validated here, but also the paradigm, it's simply proof of the paradigm shift itself, that we do in fact live in a benevolent world of infinite abundance if we're willing and able to actually blend with natural principles rather than, than go up against them. So when I've been Opposed in this lab, yes. some, of the thing, some of the things we've gotten to see are uh, room temperature superconductance. A lot of the inventors call it resistanceless. Or, uh, and we've, we've seen many uh, technologies which are self-running, where you get them running and then you close the loop and they just run themselves. And many of the inventors... Sort of like uh, the universe does. Yeah. Exactly. It's like an atom or a <laughs> galaxy or something like that. And the key is right. that all of the technologies are open to the universe. You know, the so-called second law of thermodynamics, which says this is impossible, is predicated on the assumption of a closed system. And if you close a system artificially, yes, the energy will run down. But look at the atoms. Look at the supernovas. You know, virtually... You're not going to have a perpetual motion machine because any machine is made out of matter that's going to wear down, but it's the source of energy itself that is yes. uh, perpetual, and that's what people are tapping as long as they do it in a harmonious fashion. That's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head, absolutely. Garrett, what are your comments about this? Um, I don't have much to say because really people like the other two guests in this conversation know more about me, know more about this than I do, about uh, hidden technologies and uh, why this may be hidden. So I, I, I really ought to keep mum here. How about the point that Foster was making regarding the perpetuity in motion? I too have seen just on the technical that, side of it. I, I too have seen machines that keep on running, and uh, that is against uh, a conservative reading of the second law of thermodynamics. However, as Foster said, uh, we actually live in an open system, and the second law uh, applies in a closed system. Also, the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, applies near equilibrium, that is, in a situation where uh, a system is more or less at rest or close to it. And if you really excite a system, then you can also uh, move away from the second law of thermodynamics. So I believe there are ways, even from a conservative physics point of view, that these technologies can be seen to exist but we really need to understand them a lot better than at least I do at this point. Yeah. No, you represent a very interesting uh, 
position here, as you well put it at the beginning, between the stuffed shirts and the mavericks, you know. And what you end up seeing, and this is what I see, and love to hear what all of you have to say, is that science is either an expression so often these days of the political and economic forces behind science, the, those who actually pay for the science, if we're referring to big pharma, if we're talking about big ag, whatever, we will see uh, the skewing and the distortion of science according to the economic model of the company that's paying for the science. That's on one hand. Then there's another aspect that I sort of see as someone in the field of psychology, holistic psychology at that, which is that the science is really very much an expression of the scientific mind, the human being's mind that is devising the experiment. So if he or she uh, is, as you were just saying, Garrett, let's say conservatively a physicist, because of whatever it is that may have happened to them in their childhood that presses them toward conservatism in their world view, then they're going to get certain results accordingly. And if it's someone else who's more maverick in their perspective, then they're going to have a different set of results and interpret them accordingly. Does that make sense to you? It does make it's sense. Basically, it makes an argument for the for the primacy of the subjective, not the objective, at the end of the day, even in this hallowed form we refer to as science. And we need to develop a science of the subjective. We, we're not there yet. But yes. uh, life is subjective. Yeah, I'd love to chime in on that for a moment, if I may, because... One of the most Please. interesting developments to me that I wasn't really anticipating as I've gone around to visit labs is that I would say at least 95%, if not all, of the successful inventors that I've seen, when you get them alone and relaxed and really talking about their process, they acknowledge uh, the power of whatever you want to call it, uh, some sort of interdimensional consciousness access whether you just call it a hunch or intuition or ET direction or interdimensional mm -hmm. channeling, virtually all of them refer to this process by which they have gotten insights and by which they continue to be guided in their research. And I, I love yeah. that Garrett is, is open to that. And imagine, you know, 50 or 100 years from now where that also can be taught at the universities and so that we acknowledge that which cannot be measured a whole lot right now in terms of accessing this higher level of consciousness and then at the same time measure very scientifically what the what the applications of those insights are in terms of the the energy production and energy uh, validation that to me yes. is tremendously exciting exactly exactly no i i fully support that and agree and garrett i i may like to just kind of follow up on something that Foster had suggested earlier, and I think we're all on this uh, panel very appreciative of, is that someone who is in mainstream science in an academic setting is willing to open his mind, which, you know, as we were talking, I, I really knew this, I didn't have to look it up 
for the etymology of the word science, scientia from Latin means to know, and that means to form an inquiry. It doesn't mean I already know something before I set out to do the scientific inquiry. It means I don't know, or I'm making a supposition. You know, you notice that I keep going to looking at the underpinnings of this thing we call science, and showing its powerfully subjective nature. So I feel that that can help to undermine the the stuffed shirt position because it's not a sound scientific position. And I want to, um, you could say, undercut it so that we can have a whole lot more freedom, sovereignty, and imagination in the space of science. It is a creative endeavor. It is, by definition, an art that holds certain variables constant to take a look at, in a certain way, phenomena. Are we on the same page? We are. And in fact, science didn't used to be this way. If you look back a few hundred years, uh, scientists were essentially just curious people. They weren't necessarily professionals but they simply followed uh, their curiosity. And unfortunately, now we're in the realm of uh, professional scientists who have have to meet certain contract goals and discover certain things on certain days. I'm curious to ask Garrett, uh, on a personal level, how did you do it? You know, what you're doing at the University of Colorado, (laughs) what you're teaching and what you're exploring is the most advanced and exciting thing I've seen, bringing the new physics in a very grounded way into what is usually a very government-influenced uh, environment at these at these large universities. Uh, you know, how did you, how did you do it, and how how are you maintaining it? Well, uh, as I was approaching the latter half of my career, I decided that incremental science just wasn't satisfying me anymore, mm. and I mm. said I essentially said hell with it. Uh, I'm going to take the risk and take a look at these new uh, technologies and new ideas. Uh, fortunately, I've been funded in my research by several corporations, and so I, I don't need to get government funding for what I'm doing right now. Okay. And uh, that's, that's, that's the advantage I have. Yeah. Interesting. I also wanted to say that you know, while Sasha's on this call, that anybody out there listening to this who hasn't gone on the Internet to look at the New Earth Project it's, speaking of touching, the vision that Sasha and his team have had of bringing together consciousness, honest money, uh, alternative, you know, new uh, breakthrough energy, and, you know, organic farming and, you know, fractal housing and so forth, is probably the most comprehensive and inspiring community model that I've seen everywhere. And I, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you, Sasha, about how you picture these energy devices operating in these communities. Uh, thanks, uh, Foster. That, that's terribly true. Uh, I second that completely, Foster. Yeah, it's so inspiring. This is, um, Sasha, this is you. why you have gotten, you have gotten, as you said, 50,000 uh, followers uh, between Facebook and Twitter and your website directly just in the last six weeks. It's such a project. Yeah, I, I do wish you would. Uh, speak Thank about you. I'm, I'm glad we're touching. I'm glad we're touching on this particular element because it's all about the, the dreaded C word, which of course is consciousness. 
And it, it seems to me that, you know, we have been going through a very long um, galactic night, so to speak, for a very long time. I'm speaking, of course, <laughs> civilizationally. And as we awaken from that galactic sleep into some new emergent um, uh, way of thinking, way of being, um, so much is being revealed to us. I mean, it's, it's cute that we have a conversation about what we call advanced technology, and we, we speak in terms of the last hundred years. But <laughs> I just had the, the sobering pleasure of having Michael Tellinger as a house guest in London <laughs> last week. He just returned from delivering um, an objet to Nassim Harriman. And I, I can't <laughs> say much more fact that the object uh, Foster is indeed, was indeed a donut, a granite donut. I know that Michael yeah. is going to be telling the next week about what happened, and it is a mind-blowing story. It only happened about 10 days ago. And uh -huh. it was as Mike was in transit from having uh, on, 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 on his way, forgive me, on his way to Nassim Harriman to give this object to him. Let Michael tell the story. I would love to pip into the post. But it's, it's quite extraordinary, and it's to do with donut. It's to do with telluric energies inner earth energies being harnessed through that toroid. And Foster, you've done more, I think, in the last couple of years with Kimberly to, to really reveal what the, the, the torus is, what it means. And of course, those of us who are passionate about that geometry understand it is the quintessence, it's the quanta of the human heart itself that that demarcates. And that, of course, is consciousness, the, 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 the Solomon's key, it's the Holy Grail. And mm -hmm. that has got to be center stage of the conversation as we move forward in, in discovering how to remember. Um, and I mean remember, because the device that, that, that Michael Tellinger uh, was taking is hundreds of thousands of years old. And it's an archaeological, out-of-place artifact. I mean, Garrett, you must be aware of what we, we jokingly refer to as UPAs, out-of-place artifacts. But there are so many of those emerging, and those that haven't been swooped down upon by federal agents in black helicopters and taken off to some um, underground military silo, some of them have made their way um, into private hands. And those are also some of the technologies which um, we're all being uh, able to, to bring into the conversation. I just, I'm saying this because although we think in terms of advanced technology being the now, of course it's not. Um, invariably, it was a very long time ago, and we're now, if anything, awakening from a dark sleep and need to simply remember. Yeah, Adam Trombley says it very beautifully in Thrive, where he says the suppression of free energy technology goes hand in hand with the suppression of ET technology, because if the truth of the ongoing visitation of this planet of uh, beings from other planets, other solar systems, other realms of vibration, if that is allowed to come out, then people are going to naturally go, well, wait a minute, how did they get here? Because they're not burning Exxon, you know, for 30,000 years to get here from, from the nearest star. <laughs> they're, they're somehow accessing, accessing energy wherever they are, and in fact, in a way that alters time and space. So if that's in fact going on, and if you look at the work of Stephen Greer, with over 500 high-level government, military, and FAA uh, testimonies, uh, if that's in, in fact been going on, then these technologies have been on this planet for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. So it actually, from that point of view, 
isn't all that surprising that Michael would end up with a, a toroidal stone that ends up having these energy capacities. Indeed. Exactly. I've seen the photographs. Sasha, I enjoy the way you told the story wonderfully. It's great. And right before he was a house guest at your place in London, he was that same here in New York with me, and we had a big event here at something called the Meta Center in New York City with Michael, and we filled up the house, and everybody was just agog at what he was Wonderful. showing, including in the ancient stone donut. Don't take a bite out of it, but look yeah. at the way it can operate. <laughs> you know, it's so indeed. interesting, indeed. <laughs> no, you're right. The joke is very much on us, Sasha, because and all of us, because we uh, we have this notion of a linear movement of time that we are becoming progressively more intelligent. And I would argue something really very different. And uh, so your emphasis on the word remember, putting back our members and becoming a member of the true human community, I think is a very good idea because I think that our memberships have lapsed and we have lost our identity as true human beings that are curious, that would fully develop science, true science which I will continue to argue is a beautiful art form. And this is the real nature of humanity, is to be highly creative, highly curious, highly imaginative. And I think that that's, uh, those are some of the values and the themes of the conference that we are all going to be part of as soon as next week in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I want to bring another uh, point to bear, and Garrett, perhaps you could speak to this most uh, accurately because you live there. Interestingly, a lot of what is going on these days is because of our old practice of the use of fossil fuels, which have played some no small part in the formation of greenhouse gases, which have been said to have gotten trapped and are definitely influencing, even if there are natural cycles involved as well, this thing we've referred to as climate change. There are today climate refugees. There are literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that could be identified as suffering and dying because of the nature of climate change and desertification of droughts, of floods, and it's so interesting to me, Boulder, one of my favorite places on the planet, has just experienced a wind, how can I say this, a windfall of flooding uh, that hasn't been seen in a thousand years. And that's the site of all places of the next Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference. Could you comment on that and what's going on, what we're stepping into in Boulder? That, that is uh, an ironic situation. Um, Isn't it? Uh, right now, actually, Boulder is fine. Uh, uh, most of the uh, mud and so on that was uh, soaked into the streets and various other places has been cleaned up. And, in fact, when you come to Boulder for this conference, you'll be surprised looking around. You'll say, really, there was a flood here? If you look a little more closely, you'll see a number of houses that really did suffer damage, and particularly houses in the hills, some were washed away. 
but uh, yeah. you'll be surprised at how, how tame things look. Really? They say 20,000 homes were destroyed. Yes. In the overall area. Yes, and th- that th- there were particular regions that suffered more than others, but uh, the main yeah. part of Boulder is really fine at this point. It is ironic, though, isn't it? And uh, somehow I don't think it's a mistake <laughs> that this has happened for the first five no, no, thousand years. No, no more conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, I would love to hear uh, a final weighing in of each of you. I mean, this has been so enjoyable. I just let the uh, um, the waistline of the show out so we could further expand our uh, our consciousnesses together, which has been such a, a ball here, and um, very, very rich dialogue, and uh, so, so good. Uh, Foster, will you begin just uh, wrapping up, and let's say what your final comments would be to our listening audience, and what you feel they should know about uh, your work, and what you may be speaking about, a little glimpse of that at the conference coming up. Sure. Well, uh, I would say imagine if you could, in one fell swoop, get rid of atmospheric pollution, nuclear radiation, carbon tax, cap and trade, smart meters, and at the same time empower a leap in global prosperity and individual sovereignty and energy security all in one fell swoop. If you could do that, you know, how would you possibly accomplish that? And the answer to me is get breakthrough energy out to the world. So that's what this conference coming up is about. Uh, I'm going to be talking specifically about how to do that safely and practically. And I just want to close by acknowledging really the, the people out there in the world who are waking up so fast, you know, through the Internet and the way people are getting courageous about sharing truth with one another. You know, Mitchell, you mentioned before how a lot of, of that solutions groups have been inspired by our, by our movie Thrive. And, yeah, it's close yes. to 900 groups now in over 90 countries, and they're taking on over 100 different issues, you know, from GMOs to, to uh, banking scams to chemtrails to free energy. And many, many of them are organizing conferences and, and raising funding for local inventors and so forth. So I just want to emphasize that, what we're talking about here is a glimpse of the tip of an iceberg that is emerging very fast, and it's just given me uh, a lot of hope. Kimberly and I are actually both more optimistic right now about the transformation that's going on in the world than we've been in, in 15 years, and seeing that people didn't tolerate being chipped with RFID technology. They're fighting back against GMOs all over the world, and they didn't just let the U.S start bombing the heck out of, of Syria. This, all, that and what's happening with free energy technology, in my opinion now, is unstoppable and just beautifully inspiring. So thank you, Mitchell, for, for getting the word out through independent media, because that's how people are waking up and connecting. Indeed. Thank you, Foster, and you're most welcome. And I appreciate all of the good work you and Kimberly have done and continue to do to help that waking up process. It's like we're all a bunch of cosmic alarm clocks. It's just amazing. <laughs> I really do appreciate it, Foster Gamble. Thanks so much. And Sasha Stone. 
Mitch, I, I certainly second everything Foster said, but I would invite people to look around and, and at the world around us, just take a very slow 360-degree spin. Um, whether we're talking about, you know, the tail end of the Occupy Wall Street, the collapse of banking, the Arab Spring uprisings, the, you know, the closure of the federal government, for God's sake, in the United States in the last 24 hours. If we look around us, we see, we see the crumbling towers of Babel. Uh, the Babylonian matrix is well over. And um, I liken it much to a charging rhinoceros. We've taken a one shot at that. We had one silver bullet, and I believe it's shot dead. But the laws of entropy still um, exist, only just, and that rhinoceros is still moving towards us to so be mindful, step out the way. But uh, my sense is the same, um, that we're very much um, through, the, through the, the Rubicon, so to speak. And at the same time, I would suggest that if people really want to engage with the business or the matter or the uh, subject of free energy, let's really just look at what that is saying. Energy is free. It's always been free. It always will be free. It's a nonsense conversation in real terms. The human heart is the majesty of creation. And in simply owning that space and becoming the greatest we can and entering into our noble expression, each one of us, I believe that that's how we manifest heaven on earth, and certainly it's how the meek will inherit this earth. Mm. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, Sasha Stone. You're a, a very special man, and you articulated that magnificently. Please give your website out the one, uh, the ones that you would like to uh, direct traffic to. You're very kind. Including, Mitch, by the way, I'm you must to... give the New Earth Project website. I'm, I'm keen that people um, look into the, the matter of Anand Krishna, the spiritual master in Indonesia who is still in prison, and uh, we're doing everything to keep that man alive. I've made a film about it. It's out there. I don't care too much about the organizational uh, promos here, but Anand Krishna needs to survive. He is holding and anchoring the soul of Asia right now. Mm. That's my plug. Very powerful. Very powerful, very powerful. Um, but in terms of those who would like to learn more about the New Earth Project, because I know that's, that's something you've... Yeah. That's, new, that's just www.new-earth-project.org, and that'll take you okay. straight there. That's Thank beautiful. you, Mitch. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sasha Stone. And Professor... Garrett Modell. Share with us, if you would, your, your last words for today's uh, conference, our roundtable here for our listening audience. What point would you like to leave resounding with our audience? Well, first of all, thank you to the three of you for stirring the pot and for making us stuffed shirts realize that there's something besides our own belly buttons uh, that, that we need to be aware of. <laughs> And uh, I, I think you're, you're doing a great service. Uh, we live in a world that is perhaps too interesting. Uh, there are too many different opinions. There are so many different viewpoints, and they're contradictory. And we have uh, the, the experts on one side and uh, some of the rest of us on the other side. In the end of it, what are we to believe? And I believe the answer is we each have to think for ourselves. We need to dig out the data, if it's a scientific question, uh, 
or even a, a social question. And we need to just think for ourselves, what, what do we really have here? And I think we need to do this in, as, as we approach new energy science as well. Mm, beautiful. I think those are very wise words, and I'm grateful for them by all means. I, it brings me around, so thank you very much, Professor, for being on the show today and joining us in this uh, to unstuff all shirts, either on the panel or in our audience. <laughs> no stuff shirts allowed. In our future. Uh, no, I very much appreciate all your contribution and what you're doing in bringing the world of academe to the subject of new uh, new technologies, etc. Because it's it needs to be it's a beautiful wedding, you could say, between the world of academic science and uh, what we're up to here. And uh, it will happen. It's a wedding that will happen. It's just a dating right now, but it's. Uh, Things are getting warmed up and more intimate. Uh, this is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I'm so glad you all joined us. Uh, just in closing, I would like to invite you all to the conference, wherever you may be, and that's www.globalbem.com, or it's loaded all over my website, www.abetterworld.tv, and there you can also sign up for our newsletter. But in closing, uh, I feel like I want to uh, really hearken back to the uh, wisdom of Dr. Carl Gustav Jung, the great psychoanalyst, psychologist from Switzerland, student of Sigmund Freud, who spoke of the individuation process, that we are all on our own path of self-revelation, self-understanding, and self-expansion to the transpersonal, basically. So the I becomes we, becomes us, becomes a universal identity, if you will. And the more we expand and let go of the ego, and we can even expand the ego for a while, too. I think that has its own proper place. But more than anything, we go back to what you were just saying, Professor, of think for ourselves, be daring and be bold in our willingness to think for ourselves, listen to everyone, review it, critique it, and then listen, as Sasha was saying it so beautifully, from our hearts, and then I would also say from our guts. We have several hearts. We have several great points, vortices of intelligence, and I think that we need in an integrated way to relate and listen to them all so we can make wholehearted large-minded and gutsy kinds of decisions to move our game forward. So thank you all for so much for being on the, on the show and on the panel today. You've each made a beautiful contribution, and the synergy between us is just so much fun. I'm like, uh, as Woody Allen says, pulling my pants off over my head. So thanks for joining us, and uh, I'll see you all at the conference, and uh, we'll, we'll continue the fun continue the dialogue. All right. Thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all, gentlemen. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Again, make sure to visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.